Yeah, well, that yeah, the, the is it yeah is it is it a choice? And, and the answer is in if I say he made a choice, it doesn't mean. And you know, I had this discussion in the past. If he made a choice, doesn't mean okay. Now you're down the disciplinary path. It is just to say he had some agency to choose. everybody. Welcome to the Pre-Accident Podcast. I'm Todd Conklin, the host of this show. Yes, that's me, the host of this show. So this is part two of David Marks. If you've not listened to part one, just a suggestion. You don't have, you're in charge of your own density. You make choices. You have agency, blah, 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 blah. But you probably should go back and listen to one. It seems like it'd make more sense if you listen to one and then listen to two. Just not bossing you around. Just saying that's what you should do. It is another fine day amidst the world of uncertainty and oh my goodness is it a world of uncertainty it is it is somewhat crazy to me i don't even know where to i don't know where to start it's it's crazy to me and we'll broach these topics it's getting more and more controversial and quite honestly between you and i more and more frightening i don't know if you're dealing with that or not the uncertainty is hard it's just hard it's always hard it continues to be hard but the uncertainty coupled with just a the just just everything else i don't even know where to start with the list of everything but everything else i mean that that's that's where this gets a bit crazy don't you think and i do i think that adventures for me the new electric bicycle is in now i own two i had no electric bicycles then i have two during the pandemic i took an old mountain bike and uh, put a put a what's called a Copenhagen wheel, uh, a powered wheel on the front end of it, and made a made a mountain bike into an e bike. Is that right? Yeah, that's what I did, and that was a super fun project. It wasn't terribly expensive, and it kept me busy, not only intellectually busy, ordering stuff, reading stuff, researching stuff, watching YouTube's, you know, the whole deal. But it also kept me busy because then I had things to do, tools out, wrenches out. And it was fun. It was really fun. And I made this bicycle. And then in the meantime, I purchased one as well. And so now I have two, a tragedy of riches. But I sold my scooter. You'll be sad to know the butter yellow scooter has hit the road. And I'm I'm amazed by that. I'm, I mean, I'm seriously amazed by it. It was 20 years old, ran like a dream. It's a Bajaj. So it's made in India. Um, Just the most dependable scooter in the world. I mean, just crazy dependable runs like a dream and it's been it's been great i mean i i'd, I'd written probably five thousand six thousand miles on it i'd written it a lot and it was fun to ride it's, it's always fun because you know i wore a cape and rode around town and zoomed in and out of traffic and you know i, I was i was safe i coupled risk with controls i wore a helmet i did all the stuff you're supposed to do but i kind of just found myself less interested and the the e-bike became kind of my my muse to move me away from scooterdom. So I got the scooter, got the title already, you know, did all the stuff, put an ad in Craigslist. If you don't know Craigslist, uh, they, these kind of things, it's web-based kind of one ads. They're all over the world. They have an Australian airport. So, so I put an ad in Craigslist. I put an ad at 6 PM and sold the scooter by 6:30 PM. I'm stunned 
how fast. I thought that would take a month. I thought it would take more than a month. It's a 20-year-old scooter. It's in good shape. It runs great. Looks good still. It's got that classic sort of Vespa look. But I can't believe I sold it in 30 minutes and got the price I was asking for it. And because I was selling it on Craigslist in a one ad, you know, I put the price up high enough so I could negotiate down using a little psychology, as it were. But, man, the guy who bought it, he was so happy. I mean, it was kind of worth it. He was so excited. He could not have been more giddy. He was just, he was just, it was exactly what he wanted, which is why he called so quickly, which is why I sold the scooter in 30 minutes. I'm no brilliant car salesman. Don't get me wrong. In fact, I'm, I would suggest I'm the opposite of a brilliant, I'm the worst car salesman. But it worked like a dream, and it was fun. And then I went to the e-bike world. And um, I've been riding a bunch, so it's fun. It's, it's uh, As my friend Dave Fink says, life is more interesting at 20 miles an hour. So there you go. <laughs> there you go. So let's jump into part two. What do you think about part one? Did you like it? Were you interested? I th- it's very interesting to me. And part two gets a little bit more contentious, a little bit more controversial, I'm I'm kind of excited to see what you think about part two. So listen carefully. I'm not going to blab anymore. I already told a story I wasn't even going to tell. I can't believe I told the story of selling the scooter. What is wrong with me? But here it is. This is David Marks part two. And this is, uh, I wouldn't say this is the conclusion of our conversation because I don't think this conversation's done by a long shot. But it's more of our conversation, and that is what we podcast for. So if you're walking along or swimming or reading or driving or whatever you're doing, sit back and relax and you'll uh, you'll enjoy part two of this little mess we call the Pre-Accident Podcast. Yeah, well, that, yeah, the, the, is it, yeah, is it, is it a choice? And the answer is, it, it, if I say he made a choice, it doesn't mean, and you know, I had this discussion in the past, if he made a choice, it doesn't mean, okay, now you're down the disciplinary path. It is just to say he had some agency to choose, well, and everybody but, but else did, on did that he airplane. Have as, did he have as much agency? Because uh, clearly a strong case has been built. I'm only thinking of the lady that was so mean to me over wearing a mask in a tire shop, right? right. She truly believed and, and was reinforced by a, a rather large collection of social media that all of this was made up right. and that the mask was a way that the government was beginning to control us and that if she wore the mask, she was nodding towards this ultimate control. I would suggest that was not a belief system she was born with. Yeah. And but she's going to report to you. She said, I chose not to wear a mask. Now. Yeah, but, but the question is, is, <laughs> is in retrospect, I believe she sees it as a choice. I, I would suggest we could have built a scenario in early March where the mask became sort of normalized and that, and that one of the things we could have said is if we want to open schools in September, then one of the things we need to do in March is everyone needs to wear a mask and they're great. Mm-hmm. And we have them with great slogans on the front of them and all our leaders wear masks and all our CEOs wear masks and all our bosses wear masks. And all of a sudden everybody has a mask on. So now we're leveraging really concertive control. You might actually call it a peer pressure, right? Yeah. And, and yeah. then the, I, the pressure I, I to wear a mask kind of goes the other direction. Now, yeah. the, bigger, the bigger question I would ask you is, is that a larger systemic 
question or is it an individual choice question? Every individual has choice. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm not saying choice doesn't exist. Yeah. I'm saying, did she, did this electrician, did this lineman make a bad choice or was he in a context that was being reinforced like an echo chamber by social media, by political beliefs, by his family, you know, his church? We can make all this up, right? right. Where he was truly in a position where he, he believed that wearing that mask was somehow showing that he was in alignment with the wrong thinking. And then you'd, and, and, you'd have to ask, is that fundamentally, is that a question? Yeah. And what, what, and, and so the way, and if you, it, it, as you know, in our just cultural model, we use the term at risk behavior for uh, what we call choices. I know, but that's, you know the, that's the dumbest term on earth. I know. It, it, yeah. I know you don't like it. So we use the term at risk behavior uh, as a choice. Uh, a, a good example is, you know, we, we here in Fort Lauderdale until they're outlawed, we had Lime scooters and scooters of different companies all around downtown Fort Lauderdale. And, if you sign up for the Lime, Lime app, it says um, if you wear you – know, by the way, you're required to wear a helmet by contract because if you accept this agreement to use it, you're going to wear a helmet. And if you say, yes, I will wear a helmet, and that tells you the, the you know, significant injuries, head injuries go down by 80%, and then nobody wears a helmet. And then you go talk to those people who don't wear a helmet and say, look, it messes up my hair. Uh, I don't want to wear a helmet because I, it, it, it makes me feel gross or I have to borrow one from somebody and that's gross because they wore the helmet. There's a hundred reasons. It's not a binary liberty versus safety. It's not, it's not oh, I have liberty. Nobody's going to force me to wear a helmet. But everybody has their reasons. And statistically, you'll see dominant reasons why people won't wear helmets. But people – and this is the word. People will choose either to wear a helmet or not wear a helmet. But, the, but they're choosing it in the middle of, of giant social context. Yes, so that's there's, and there's I'm totally peer pressure with hairdo. I mean, I'm looking. Tu tienes muchos bicicletas. So I'm looking over your shoulder, and I can count at least two bicycles and maybe a third. If not, there's a spare wheel That's somewhere. right. We have bikes right there. Yeah, they're, they're over here. You, I just said in Spanish, you have many bicycles, as well, yes, just in case you good. didn't catch that translation. Right? Impressive. Do you wear a helmet when you ride a bike? Sometimes, sometimes not. Okay, why not? And I, and I just make choices. Part of it has to do with risk. Part of it has to do with... Just a hassle factor. I mean, there's a bunch of factors that play in, and, and, and there's context. Now, if, if it's a windy day, uh, if it's at night, uh, there'll be times when then I'll wear a helmet where I see perceive where I perceive a risk. Uh, I'll wear a helmet. And there'll be places where I don't wear a helmet. So the, per- uh, the per- and it's not about some authority saying you have to wear it. No, or no, not no. Because- but the perception of risk drives your outcome, right? Yeah. And so some if, of it, it. if it seems really risky, you'll wear a helmet. Yeah, or I get my I get my helmet stolen. I don't want to carry it into the restaurant. Uh, it's a short trip. There's all kinds of reasons I w- wouldn't wear so a helmet. Here's my advice: buy crappier helmets. <clears throat> yeah, that's right. But but Todd, you and I are in sync about the underlying system issues and the context. I'm totally there. As a matter of fact, what's interesting about I think even about the human and organizational performance community is when they do look at like the ten scenarios I gave you, they wash their hands up, they throw it over, they say words like criminal. While most of these aren't really criminal. Well, some of them are, but but it's like that's not the real issue. The issue is is how did a person get to the place of being there? So Even let's it was set aside choice. So let's take uh, uh, let's take the HR lady that wouldn't hire the person. Yes. Okay. Good so example. So I that that one's a great one, right? Just throws because, the, throws the resume into the trash. Quite. Uh, we actually, we, here's the context. We have a scenario in our in our just culture training where where a a, a mother loses a son in the Gulf War. And she gets back. She loses her son in the Gulf War, 
And she got to the place where anybody who had a Middle Eastern sounding name, she would toss the resume. Mm -hmm. And there was that issue of like the coping strategies. Like I, I don't want to work around people that remind me of my lost son or uh, I, I want to take it to them because I hold them accountable for losing my son. And, and, and we'll ask leaders, like, what are we going to do with this uh, manager? Now, some in the HR community say, well, look, this is a violation of employment practice law. This is you can't do this. We're going to fire this manager. Most managers, though, most organizational leaders will say, look, we've got to look at the context here. What employee assistance program do we have for her? How did we deal with this when her husband, when her son did die? How do we, how do we not get this person to be in that position in the first place? So I, would, that, I would ask one other question that I think is worth tossing out here, and that is what's the relationship with her supervision? So who supervises her? Um, what kind of fitness for duty evaluations are being done? I mean, right. have they seen this? Is this is a slow decline away from is she uh, is she indicating unusual behavior? I mean, so I think what you have here, at least in my mind, and again, I'd have to understand the details, is I'd be really interested in who her supervisor were was. Let me use English, right? Mm -hmm. Just because I think I think that's a place where I would look at first. And have we set that supervisor up to be successful in managing this type of worker, right? right. And so if there's if there's a rich context behind this story above and beyond racism, just pure racism, then I think we have a challenge to understand yeah. how we're checking in with our workers. If she's just plain a racist then I think we have to look at our selection criteria and ask some questions. And I think we have some by, important, important questions to ask them. Isn't there a rich story behind racism? Oh, I, mean, really, there I would absolutely. And I don't mean to downplay that at all. Yeah. But, but, I mean, uh, so, so, but it seems you know, like the story, the story you wove for me sort of had this kind of this, yeah. this context rich drift towards this outcome. So I'm assuming when she started with the company, she wasn't throwing away resumes. But due to a series of horrific circumstances, she drifted to a place where yeah. she was resumes. I have to when, fill in the blank on a lot of this stuff. Yeah. No, so Todd, we, we did a, uh, a two hour webinar yesterday uh, for our uh, clients or actually anybody want to attend. It was about uh, prejudice and uh, prejudice and discrimination and, and how to really move the needle. Because since 1964, we've, we've been less than successful uh, in eliminating employment discrimination in the U S uh, it, it, it's still uh, pretty rampant. And, and, and we're not talking about persons who are an outlier, right? In terms of hiring, we have good old boys clubs. We have, there, there's a lot of what, ways in which we hire that are less than noble and less aligned with our shared values, at least articulated through laws like the civil rights act. Uh, so, so we, we did a, we did a webinar, but we talk about prejudice sort of like a barnacle is the analogy you you know, uh, uh, you know, peers, you know, will have barnacles grow over them, bottoms of boats, uh, whales love barnacles. And to some extent, prejudice is like that barnacle, right? You, you know, we're not born with them. But as you move through life, you start taking on prejudices for a lot of uh, very illogical reasons, right? But you will have people that are prejudiced. It, it's, you'll have waiters who will be prejudiced about who tips well, who doesn't tip well. They try to use data that they collect and they start building these prejudices so that the next person who comes in is like, Oh, I've seen that kind of, I know they're a member of that group. I'm going to discriminate against them. Uh, and, and there is a million reasons why people build, you know, get these barnacles on them, build these prejudices. And, and what we talk about in terms of discrimination, discrimination is the decision to act on that prejudice. 
right? Because this person might say, look, I just, I got into the place where I just can't stand people who have a Middle Eastern descent because I lost my son. They just got there. And you're right. A lot of that's how do we support this person? So there are huge systemic issues. But ultimately, and throughout all of this, uh, as you know, people, the, the, the supervisor, the organization is going to say, what are we going to do? Because the EEOC is going to come in and say, look, you're discriminating. You violated the law. Uh, and somebody's going to say, OK, what are you going to do with that employee? Uh, and it could be the supervisor is a party to it or not a party to it. But what are you going to do with that employee? It's a, the, you know, I talked to the insur- a, a company, the insurance company said, yeah, we get, we, as soon as we got drones, uh, sure enough, here's an insurance dresser who starts flying outside the bathroom window. Um, and it's interesting because we talk about work as imagined, you know, that, con- that concept. I, I never really understood it. What don't you but, under- how can I help you there? What don't you understand? Well, because when I imagine an insurance, you give an insurance agent a drone, I imagine that they're going to go to the window. Maybe I expect less of human beings. I was going to say. Because I, I, that's, that's I think part you, of what I think I you've been beaten down by the man. Well, yeah, but, but do you expect people to text when they drive? Do you expect, I mean, do you expect a certain population of the teacher profession, very, very small, is going to engage in wrong conduct with their students? I expect it. It's just part of the curve. It's the bell curve. Now, why did they get there is huge. How do we get to that space of understanding how they got there? But are people, do I expect people to cheat on their taxes? The answer is yes. Do I expect a certain percentage of the American population to say, I'm not going to wear a mask uh, and this is all a hoax? Yes. I mean, how does not, how, as you imagine work, how are not all of these imagined? Because there's so much life history that says all 10 of these these are predictable. They're going to occur next year and the year that follows. So if you're imagining work and you don't imagine these things, that's just willful blindness on the system designer side. Yeah. Um, so so let's let's uh, decouple a couple things here. One is you're talking about sort of the the human condition. When we talk about work as imagined versus work as done, we're talking about the difference between a procedure and the actual work. Right. So you can write right. the best procedure in the world. Like, could you write, um, this is not a good example for you because your office is probably in your house, but could you write a procedure for your drive to the office? Yes. No, I, I get the procedure, but what is, do, do people imagine that, that human beings actually follow procedures that, that, that were a hundred percent, that's imagining perfection. Uh, yes. People, lots of companies believe that perfection is, but they believe they're, their reliability program exists entirely on paper. And if that worker would simply have followed the procedure, the event would not have happened. So, yeah. And, which and, then implies, we do, we, and that's Bill's got to blame the worker. Well, right? yeah. And that's, and that's really the ultimate discussion we're having here is that are we looking at people who feel, so the insurance adjuster who spies on naked women with a drone, right? Right. So that's a really interesting problem. And one would ask this question. So how easy it is, is it to do that? And was the company so naive to believe that making a rule saying not to do that was sufficient? Yeah. I mean, or they didn't even, they didn't even actually have a rule for it until they're like, Oh my goodness, how could an employee have done that? It's like, well, Oh my goodness, how could you not have predicted before you bought the drone that a percentage, not all people, people will, will make what you and I might consider the right choice, which is not loiter in front of the window. But are we going to have, you know, you have a human being and you don't know who it's going to be, right? I'm saying this is part of the human condition. Who's going to be the person or lawyers outside the window? It's not like you can say, oh, that's Fred. Fred's the guy that's going to do that. 
uh, it, that's not so easy pr to predict. It's, it's a little bit of the human condition. And you just don't know who's going to have that kind of day or who's going to have the predilection to say this is what their behavior is going to be. But how much of this is just management? I mean, how much of this is just good management? Because, because it, it, I would suggest it, window peeking with a drone is, uh, is a problem. I'm not denying that by any stretch of it. Well, actually, I never realized it was a problem until you brought it up. But, uh, yeah. But, now you're going to go buy a drone. Well, yeah, I'm going to get a bunch of them, clearly, right? Um, but I would suggest that's not a safety problem. That's, no, that's true. It's not. It's, it's, it, well, it's, a, it's perhaps a safety problem for the female in the, in the shower. Oh, absolutely. Uh, oh, absolutely. There. But I mean, from, from the employer's standpoint, what you have is you, you really have a question of, of, in this case, moral judgment, right? Mm -hmm. and, yeah, and, and this gets back to free will. Well, so, um, so the thing is, is that I know you're going we'll to, so we're not going to solve this anyway. That's not even the goal. But, but the question I have to ask is, is, so people absolutely make choices. There's, there's no denying that. The question is, is do they, are they making bad choices or do they have bad choices? And that becomes a really interesting question um, at a bunch of levels to me. In, in this case, in this case, I, I would really look at this drone thing and say, what can we learn from it? I mean, right. I think there's much this could teach us. Uh, yeah, and that's a, and that's a good point, Todd, because the the one is, I th and I think you and I are in sync on this, and, and, and actually I'm a little bit surprised by your answer, but the, the one is all of these are teachable events, right? Even if we say this person is going to get fired, uh, they're all, they're all, they're all, we all can learn from these events. And some of them, you are going to have organizations say, look, for a lot of reasons, uh, we may have to part ways with this employee. Um, and some of them, you're right. Some of them are going to be, you go into the medical record, you've committed a crime. And, and if you don't fire that employee, you expose now the organization to risk because that they go in a second time. Uh, now, now we're going to go after the leadership, uh, perhaps criminally. So th there are, there, there are uh, a lot of complexity to this. Well, and and level, one, could, one could make a case on the medical record thing that's sort of the argument of the attractive nuisance, right? I mean, if, if somebody super famous comes in, you know, uh, geez, sitting around the break room, maybe it's interesting. The question is, is how easy yeah. is it to have access? And it must be incredibly easy. Does it need to be that easy? Probably the answer is yes, because we want medical practitioners to have access to records, right? right? And so now we have an issue where we have a, a relatively interesting form of risk uh, that's mostly attached to famous people, right? And a relatively significant absence of control. Yeah. So if you're famous, right? So if David Marks goes to the hospital, his file takes two signatures, yeah. right? Or or, yeah. or whatever the case is. But right. But I, I I think it's I think we're we're talking about lots of things at the same time, and that's good. That that's what makes conversations interesting. But but in this case, I think the medical record is, is a really compelling story of which these are problems we did not have in the past because we did not have instant access immediately to everyone's medical records, yeah. which, is why HIPAA, which is why HIPAA became HIPAA, yeah. right? Well, yeah, and you know what, actually, back in the, well, you're talking about Kansas, uh, there were hospitals in Kansas that uh, uh, 50 years ago, when you were admitted as a patient, uh, they would broadcast that you're now a patient over the radio and they would put it in the newspaper because at the time the value set was slightly different. It was 
uh, Todd's in the hospital, we need to alert the community so that people out on the farm can bring in food, can right. help with the family. And that, it, it, so there was no value. It was like, look, we're not going to use this against you. You know what was the impetus? Part of the impetus was AIDS. And as people, uh, as AIDS occurred, it was like, okay, are we going to use information about employees? Uh, are we going to use information against employees, health information? So all of a sudden you had organizations uh, using that information in an improper way. So we said, look, we actually have to protect this data. And a new value that we would say, a new value, patient privacy uh, came because privacy was not an issue. It's like, okay, you're sick, you're sick, who cares? Uh, but now people do care because uh, if I knew that I knew if you were precancer or cancerous, now you're going to cost me more in my health insurance. So if I could use that information against you, I could not hire you because I know you're going to be expensive for me. Uh, so we say, okay, that's private health information. It's not for the employer to know. Um, but I think, Todd, in all these, every one of them becomes, you know, the issues, how do you learn from them? The accountability piece, which you're not going to answer in, in this whole call, is at some point organization says you cross line. I, I would argue criminal's not the line. Uh, it, it, it has some street meaning, but technically uh, anything is a crime. We want to make a crime. So you have to decide how do you sort of draw that line in. And to your point, and, and I'm going to use the term, and I don't want you to push back immediately. Just let me say this. But okay. the, 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 what we call at-risk behavior is, you know, for every one of these behaviors we have, we have 100,000 behaviors that are not this culpable, that don't have this much um, – uh, you could even use the word evil attached to them. They're, they're, they're not a person saying, I know I'm doing something that is abhorrent in society, but I choose to do it anyway. Uh, or, or, or I, may, I have that bad choice anyway, th that there is 100,000 of them that are people knowingly, by the way, often violating rules, um, doing it, thinking they're in a safe place. And our just culture model is you're going to guarantee that employee we're not going to discipline. This is not going to be a disciplinary issue. We're going to learn from it. All right? And we're going to talk about the risk involved. We're going we're gonna to have a discussion with the employee, but we're going to address all those system issues. And the guarantee is if, if you didn't know you were doing something, that it's a, and, and historically in law, recklessness is the floor. If you're not at that sort of evil, the mens re, to say that the, the evil meaning mind that says, I know I'm doing something. Because that, that person who is sitting outside the window uh, with his drone knew all along that what he was doing was inappropriate. Uh, and due to some desire or urge on his part, said, I'm going to do it anyway and hope I don't get caught. And he gets caught. And, and, and society says, look, you're going to lose your job as insurance. We're not going to we're not going to give you a drone because the societal standard was you don't sit outside the window. So there are lines where you say these are sort of the rare behaviors, but it speaks to that issue of sort of agency. Now, there's a whole bunch that hundred thousand to one to hundred thousand is is everything that you talk about it is human beings get caught in context. And, 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 and even for us, I know you. you the, the word knowingly willful, uh, we don't, I'm not a hardliner on that word because people willfully, you know, I would say people willfully do things like speed. You know, they say, look, I'm going to get there faster. I'm going to do nine miles an hour with the speed limit, unless it's a school zone where people are policing and then I'm going to slow down. Uh, they make those decisions. And so do they, do they choose them? Even if they choose them, it doesn't make them evil. It makes it good, well-meaning human beings trying to navigate life. And the best thing to do is to learn from it not uh, pull out the disciplinary stick and not, not, and I know you guys you, you use the word restorative and Sidney Decker uses the word restorative, uh, you know, and sometimes we get, we're sort of, you know, the justice system is seen as 
uh, retribution. I, I, have to, I have to say, legally, that's that's a hundred years old. We, there's nothing about the legal system that it, it, being being uh, retribution can't be a part of uh, a legal response. So uh, let me in let States. me interrupt and ask you a question. Tell me about Portland then. Ooh, Portland. What about it? Tell me about it. I mean, it seems very retri- retributive. I can never say that word. Retributive. Um, there's, yeah. There's a lot of uh, as a person who. Uh, adores the constitution i'm a little freaked out by what's going yeah. on in portland and, well, that's it, true, and, actually, it's, and it's not restorative so you'll you'll yeah. never have less violence with more violence i mean well, you'll, that's true. Yeah, you'll that's, never but what i'm going to tell you though is that's not the court system if you go to the preamble uh, like where you live in in uh, new mexico look at the preamble to the criminal code the criminal code is going to tell you and as it does here in florida that says retribution is not part of the criminal system this is not the criminal this isn't a judge adjudicating this isn't the jury. This this is this is uh, this is um, this is the actions of uh, of a uh, an enforcement agency uh, being directed in some way to say I'm going to take action. And do politicians engage in uh, uh, yeah retribution? The answer is absolutely yes. It's just as a matter of policy and law, it's not a part of our response uh, to events. Uh, now, do people do it? The answer is yes. And, there, and again, there's that social issue behind that as to why do people engage in that kind of behavior? Uh, but with our Just Culture model, we said, look, retribution is not a part of the puzzle. Now, does, is, is restoration? Yes, it is. That's the issue. It's restoration. It's sometimes it's incapacitation. If you are a serial uh, killer, uh, we're going to put you in jail because we just we can't sing. We're going to restrict your liberty because you're going to kill again. And, and so there's incapacitation. So the three goals are, are uh, rehabilitation, as actually the criminal law will say. It is incapacitation if we can't sort of help sort of fix it, and then deterrence. And, and then does it work? And I got to tell you how deterrence works. I, I, got, I got to ride one of the little lime scooters out to San Diego. By the way, I didn't wear my helmet. I never wear my helmet. Uh, I, I, I sort of violate the spirit of the contract. And I even know the data, 80% reduction. But there's a little seaside village in, in, in San Diego that says it, can't, if you ride, it cannot be your hair. Your hair cannot yes, that's be that's right. Reason. It's not my hair. That's right. So, but if you there you go, this little seaside village says, look, if you bring your scooter in here, you're going to get a ticket. So what happens is dutifully, like little sheep, we all line up our scooters and outside a seaside village and and walk in because the the, the threat is you're going to get a fifty dollar ticket if you're seen scootering through this walkable seaside village. So we just park them now. So, so I'll park that one to avoid a fifty dollars ticket, but I don't want I won't wear a helmet to reduce my fatal injury rate right. by eighty percent. But the the question then, because it, it becomes interesting to me, because that's a that's a systemic expectation, right? That is is coupled with some kind of deterrence, a ticket. I would suggest a fifty dollars ticket for you is nothing. That's a that's a penny because you're a multi-billionaire. So that's easy. <laughs> that's right. That's right. right. Are you talking to Bill Gates here or David <laughs> Marks? I think it's the wrong person right. here. But, but I would suggest the expect the clear expectation. And so that's where I would go with accountability is accountability really is a, is a, accountability is an incredibly powerful word, but only when it's used before an event happens. Because if, if I set up a, a, an expectation and then I build structure around that expectation that you can't bring your lime scooter into seaside village, which I'm fine with. They can make their own rules and I don't have any problem with that at all. I clearly communicate that and then I create really a sense of concerted control around it. The expectation is, is that nobody does it. In fact, if you did it, 
I would suggest before you got the $50 ticket, you would probably completely be scooter shamed right. by, by many, many people who would say, you can't have that in there. Don't do that. Don't do that. Which I would tell you probably serves more effectively in an, using your language, which I hate, but I will, in, on the antecedent side of the equation than it does on the consequence side of the equation. Mm-hmm. And so that's the struggle that we're in. And it really has to do with ultimately, do you see the, if your only lever to fixing the world is fixing the people, then you're going to be sorely disappointed and often doing investigations and learning. Right. But if you can yeah. actually, if you can build a lever that's larger than the individual performer and then build that lever in a sensible way so that it, it, it's clearly understood. It, it lacks ambiguity. It can be complex, but transparent. I mean, it meets all the tests that we know need to be met. Then in fact, the question of wearing a mask on a plane is kind of not a question when the expectation is here's how we fly. That same lineman probably had pants on. I'm just guessing. I don't know the context of this, but my guess is his wiener was not flipping around in his seat. There's a reason he wore pants. Right. Pants absolutely restrict his liberty. Um, They're a controlling item made by the Levi Strauss company, and yet he wore pants. I would suggest we could build a system where that's what we want to do. It, it's, it's, well, and and hel- is, helmets are the same way. I mean, yeah. you can tell me that you choose to not wear a helmet because you're exercising your liberty, and I will tell you, first of all, I don't see them as choices, so that's a false choice. I don't think the helmet impinges on your liberty. Secondly, I don't understand why you wouldn't wear a helmet. I mean, I just, I, it's, it's difficult. Well, you just have to do the investigation. Well, I'd, ha- actually, here, I'd have to learn it. People, 99% of the people don't wear the helmet. Well, and I'd have to learn, right? So maybe risk right. is low. Maybe there's soft grass everywhere you crash. I mean, I, mean, could, I, I don't know, right? But well, I, it's hugely dangerous to not wear a helmet. Well, so, so if, then, if you talk to anybody who sees the events, they're like, this is totally, they, they won't ride the scooters. Talk to, talk to fire departments. They're like, I'm not going to ride a scooter. This is insane. Well, but I, the rest of us, even a safety guy like me, it's like, well, I'm going to not wear my helmet. Thank well, you. and so, and then the the deeper question there is, have we built an environment where you understand the impact? It's clearly accepted. There's consequences. I accept you don't the risk. Do it. Right, and that's fine. You're always going to match control with risk. I mean, right. I actually want you to do that. I'm, I'm fine with that. And I'm, I'm conscious. I'm, I'm, I'm always conscious of the fact that, when we get into trouble, it's not the presence of risk. It's the absence of control. Right. So, so which, is, t- which is why I think at risk behavior is a goofy thing to say. Right. Yeah. So yeah. At, at risk behavior in, in what context? The reason we talk about at risk behavior is you have to separate that from all these 10 things on this list. Cause you have to give managers a tool to say, look, this, this isn't crossing that line. But they, Even though I see it as a they, volitional but that's, choice. I would call that leadership, right? Uh, if if they have a problem yeah. with the decision the lineman makes, they're still the leader, and they can still make decisions based upon compelling business reasons why or why not that lineman should retain his employment status, right? Yeah. The but what we want to do, the bottom we, we want to say the bottom line we, is you'll never write an algorithm that makes leadership decisions go away. There we always count on leaders making good decisions, and and 
you know, yeah, I've written uh, guidances they're not, they're not for equipped, them. They're not equipped to do it. Well, then we uh, need to, the then we need to equip leaders. Well, yeah. and, and justice is really, I, I think we should stop using the word justice. I, I as actually, a society? I, I think, a, no, not as a society. As, Are you telling Black Lives Matter? They no, 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 not, not as a society for, for us, for us. I think we've co-opted the word justice in the safety world. I think Amy Edmondson at Harvard has it right, and she calls it psychological safety. And and the, and in I think what we want is psychological safety. I think I think justice is vital. Justice, liberty does not exist without justice. But I'm not sure our workplaces are equipped in any way to mete out justice. I I just I don't I don't think they're equipped to do so. I think yeah, they try the, they try desperately to do so, but it's hard. Well, and society requires it of them. If an NFL player does something off duty, we ask the NFL to uh, kick them out. We ask employers to do the work of the courts. You know, if you do have aberrant behavior, often it's like, well, they fired that employee, so therefore it's done. Uh, even, matter of fact, even those breaches going into George Clooney's medical record, they're rarely prosecuted. Uh, if, if you chose to go in, it's well, going to so be, okay, you got fired. Now I'm interested. You didn't tell yeah. me it was George Clooney. Yes. And by the way, so we should end this, by the way, back to uh, – because I, I said when we, we should have this call, or, and you, you said we should have this call, that – the, the issue of Black Lives Matters and uh, Black Lives Matter and and what happened with uh, um, George Floyd Absolutely. and um, the the police officer. You know, you watch the video. The police officer. Many people say, "Look, I just see this intention uh, to cause harm, uh, if if not to kill." And so the issue is, how do you really see that event? And you can see this as simply a rogue police officer who. Um, uh, who said, I'm just going to kill another human being. Bad apple theory. Uh, that's bad apple theory. Yeah, that's the bad apple theory. Or you can say, look, is, is uh, Derek Chauvin really a product of a culture, a product of, uh, of systems? Uh, you know, when you see stats, you know, if you believe the stats that they're, you know, police officers are four times more likely than the average public engaged in spousal abuse, you'd say, look, there are underlying system issues. Not to mention that particular case is not the only case where, the black community in America feels uh, persecuted at some level by the police departments in the U.S. And, and so you got to work the underlying system issues because clearly this isn't going to be fixed by putting Derek Chauvin in jail. The, the issues, there are much more bigger systemic issues that are human and organizational performance issues because that, ha that particular capacity, the discrimination against black Americans happens inside workplaces. And human organizational practitioners have to deal with it inside the workplace, whether it relates to promotion, hiring, uh, who's going to be in the C-suite. Uh, all those uh, all those factors are, I think, the working space of humans, human organizational performance practitioners to say, look, how do we really deal with the system and cultural issues, uh, as you saying, ahead of it, right, so that we don't even have those events occur, uh, whether it's the throwing away the resume uh, and what we see, we showed some data yesterday, you know, uh, black, uh, actually many ethnic minorities have to whiten their resumes. Uh, if you whiten your resume to look like you're white, you double the chances of a callback. That's the data. That's what's coming out of the system. The issue is, is why would we ask that of a black person? Why, why do they need to whiten their resume? And ultimately, how do we fix those underlying issues? Uh, and it's not simply uh, to the point of saying, OK, well, that's discrimination. That's against the federal law. So let's fire anybody that's doing it. It hasn't worked since 1964.
So the issue is, is, is if we keep doing that strategy over and over again, it's not going to fix it. We ultimately have to say, let's fix the system issues and uh, how we hire, how we, uh, you know, even having panel hiring, um, you know, the, how, we, how we build the process to try to minimize uh, these types of outcomes. It seems like that's what I would have said to you. Those answers. Yeah, that's that. See, wow, you've really, you know, we're, you're really, we're violent, you're we're really changing in agreement. You're becoming a new person. This is, you know, this is the same me. You used to be kind of a jerk face and now you're like not. Oh yeah. I'm telling you, this is, you got to work the system issues. Now the issue of accountability, we're sort of stuck with pieces of the system. We're going to say, look, you know, well, look, we're no George Floyd's going to, or sorry, uh, the, Derek Chauvin, he's going to go to jail. All right. And, 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 you know, you, you can stand at the courthouse and say he doesn't belong in jail. He's a victim of a bad system design. I don't think you're going to get very far in today's world. I, th- I, think, um, I think farther than you probably would have. I think, th- I think the dialogue is slowly changing, and that's how change happens, kind of one conversation at a time, if you'll allow me to have that sort of metaphor. Uh, but I think it's yeah. interesting that, that there was such a push around the bad apple theory, especially around law enforcement, because, quite honestly, it's expensive. It's frightening and scary to think that the system itself may have some issues. I don't know how much time you spend with law enforcement people, but I bet you do. I do, right? They, they're interested in the stuff we talk about. And this whole metaphor that I've heard over and over and over and over and over again about the sheep, the sheepdog and the wolf, and they use it to sort of define systemically their role. The sheep are the people. Right, the sheepdog is the policeman, and the wolf are the bad guys. And right. and what's interesting is, I think that metaphor fails policing. I think that's I think that's the wrong metaphor, um, especially when they often say, and I've heard this more than once, that the sheepdog doesn't know that is it's sometimes difficult to tell who's the wolf and who's the sheep. Right. And and so, I mean, if you have to sort of create a secondary comment around your metaphor that says that, then maybe your metaphor is not so strong. Yeah. I think we have yeah. to ask we have to ask some really hard questions. Yeah, and, and we I, have to we have to stop making excuses for the say. Look, they they work in a tough environment. They have a tough job. Uh, it's like yes, they do. We get that. We, you know, they, they have to deal with what you'll call criminals. They have to they have to you know. I I don't walk in the shoes of a police officer. Oh, absolutely. The issue are there systemic issues? The issue is 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 and, and what you see in police departments, uh, I think, unlike other organizations like healthcare or aviation or they're just not much of a learning culture. Uh, they, they circle the wagons, particularly around things like spousal abuse. Uh, it, it, it appears that there's a little bit more, at least if you talk to who are victims of spousal abuse and the policing, it, it's a little bit of circling wagons and sort of protecting sort of the, the well, I guess you call them the sheep herders or, but sort of protecting the core. Um, when we ultimately say, look, we got issues that we have to address and we have to be open and honest about those issues. We have to learn from them and we have to strive to be uh, even more uh, effective at what we do. Do you have hope for the future? Oh, I do. I, I do have why hope. Are you, I actually, why are you optimistic? Yeah, the, the, well, actually, what's funny because uh, the, what's happened with, uh, with uh, Black Lives Matter doesn't give me... I, I would have thought actually when I was a kid because my... Uh, you know, I, I had uh, parents, at least one of the two parents was pretty profoundly racist. And, and growing up in the 60s and 70s, I thought, look, you know, this generation, we're just going to fix this. This is just going to go away. You know, we're enlightened. And but it really hasn't happened at the pace that uh, I would see because I'm you know, 58 years old. And 
uh, it is a little disheartening when I see a 20-year-old person who's racist. Um, that is disheartening to me. Um, but I, I, I think we're, uh, we're getting smarter. I think iPhones and, and technology around the world and uh, good work of things like, you know, Bill Gates is even doing. I, I think there's a lot of things that are happening that are very positive. Uh, and we're getting we're living longer uh, around the world as a whole in particular. Uh, we're, we're getting safer as a society. And uh, and all on the while, we're actually protecting our liberties along the way and the freedom to live a free life. So in that capacity, I think in general, we're getting further along. But we, just, we still have a lot of work to do. You're a good guy. I always like talking to you. This was fun. Yeah, it's, all, it's always fun. This has been this has been uh, good. And, and I'm not sure you ever answered my question about accountability on 10, but we'll get back to you on that one in the future. Yeah, let's uh, stay on that one. I love this question. Time. So I shan't belabor this too long because we're already miles over time. This could have been three episodes, but that would have been kind of crazy. I mean, too much is too much. I agree. But what do you think? I'm curious what you think. I hope you enjoyed that. It was fun. And David's a, a righteous, aspiring partner. I mean, he's he's fun to argue with. We definitely see the world differently. But yet there are places where we see the world the same. And I guess that's good. It seems like it's good. It seems good to me anyway. So that's the pod for today. I owe you 15 minutes. I'm sorry. I'll give you a short one on Wednesday. How's that feel? Good? Okay. That feels good. Until then, my friends, learn something new every single day. Hope you did today. Have as much fun as you possibly can. Be kind to one another. That's important mid-pandemic and economic crisis, leadership, fear, all the stuff that's going on. Be kind. I think that makes a difference. And until then, my friends, for goodness sakes, be safe. <music>